everybody. This is Issei Cosette, and you are listening to Issei's Way, your favorite podcast that you didn't know existed, you didn't know you needed, but we're so glad you're here. And this week we have a very special guest, Mr. Eduardo Paz, the founder of Kimpande Jui. How are you? Hey, todo super bien. Um, in this podcast, you will see that I will be answering things in Spanish, sometimes sometimes in English. So um, I hope you're bilingual because... <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Well, they'll be good. Um, just thank you again for disagreeing to be on my podcast. And I know I actually met you in El Primer Congreso de Afrodescendencia. And there you were, and we were able to just find so many things in common, not only just our beautiful locks, but our passion for Africa. So tell the people a little bit about yourself. Let me see how can I start this, because everything started, uh, maybe I had, I had um, seven years old, six years old. I was born on the 85, so by that time, Ya habían hecho la serie de Chaka Zulu. Ajá. Entonces, pues esa es una de mis series favoritas. Y I, I started everything with, with that specific series. And it was strange because I, I felt that specific series, like I, I was living at that time. I don't know how to explain it. Um, yeah. Like I was part of it instead of just watching it from my home. That's so interesting. What what made you find those connections? You were like, because I remember, it's so funny, super aside, but I remember as a kid seeing that and being terrified of Shaka Zulu. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, how did you find those connections? I don't know. It was strange. And the, the strangest thing was uh, like uh, four, four, maybe four years ago, because I met this um, lady that makes African clothing. She's half Indian, half Swahili. Fatima from Pennsylvania. <laughs> She's amazing. So I met her. Then I met another guy that is from the Fulani groups. And I also met a lady of uh, Ivory Coast. Okay, I'm saying all, all this, I'm mentioning all these people because you asked me, how can I find a connection with this series? This mysterious part of it is that I did my DNA test. I got the Bantu groups and there's 160 groups. So everything that close to me were Bantu, Swahili. Yeah, the Swahili is part of the, of, of the Bantu groups, but it was Bantu, Fulani, I don't know, everything that is, it was on that specific DNA test. It was everything that called me through my growing. Si había alguien haciendo o que era de la santería, pues a mí me llamaba la atención conocer sobre la santería. So tuve un pequeño por ciento de Benin Togo, que ahí es donde se conecta lo que es vudú y el vudú. Bueno, nace eh, el vudú porque el vudú sale del budón. Todo lo que mostraba la serie eventualmente y en un futuro se mostró en mis pruebas de ADN, que realmente siento, a ver cómo explico esto otro, yo siento que nuestra, eh, nuestro ADN, eh, más allá de que hablemos de en ciertas creencias de la reencarnación, eh, yo creo más bien que nuestro ADN es una recopilación de información 
que aunque tú no hayas tenido contacto con unos ciertos grupos, si tú ves algo, ese ADN va a reaccionar a que yo pienso que es más algo genético que otra cosa, que tal vez yo era parte de, o, o sea, no yo, sino que algún antepasado pertenecía al, a los grupos Zulu y pues Chaca vendía esclavos, así que tal vez yo fui uno de esos esclavos y no sé, tal vez hubo esa conexión mística ahí, no sé. <risa> Yo creo que eso es bien interesante porque yo siento igual en el hecho que somos, no solamente de, re, ¿cómo digo? Reincarnations, esto, de los ancestros nuestros, pero uh -huh. que nosotros somos tan fuertes porque nuestros ancestros sobrevivieron. Y todo lo que somos, como que nosotros hemos evolucionado para, you know what I'm saying, ser y conectar. So I totally see those connections that you are saying like, wow, something that I identified with as a child years, many years later when in my practice, in my journey, um, I find out that I have those roots. That is powerful. ¿Cuándo empezaste a ser la artesana y a ser artesano? Wow. Eh, creo, creo que... En el 2007, si no me equivoco, 2006-2007, fue porque yo tenía una novia que el papá, el que era mi suegra en ese momento, era artesano, bueno, es artesano, y pues ninguno de sus hijos quería seguir como el, el legado del artesanismo. Y empiezo a dibujar en el pedacito de cuerno que me quedaba, y a las once y media de la noche... Eh, fui corriendo, bueno, guiando a la casa de, de mi novia y levanto al que era mi suegro del mueble <ríe> que está durmiendo y le digo, Ale, ya, ya sé lo que quiero hacer y le enseño lo, porque yo fui a mi casa primero, hice lo que había dibujado en la iglesia y después fui a la casa de él y él, él habla así como, como gruñón, como que, ah, oh, sí, dale, vamos a hacerlo. <ríe> Y después de ahí, pues, empecé a trabajar las pulseras de cuerno y después conocí a otro artesano que en paz descanse, que fue a John Lee Walters, que me enseñó a trabajar con el bronce. Y, y pues, de ahí, pues, mezclé lo que era el cuerno y el bronce. Y, pues, nada, es lo que tengo ahora. Como we were thinking about, like, oh, you don't understand how you can, that like, you find certain interest and then later it comes back to you and it's like, literally, this man's own children didn't want to continue on this journey, this ancestral knowledge, and you picked it up because, you know, you were like, I, I'm willing to. Y I think that's interesting de lo camino de nosotros porque sometimes we're called to do things, but we don't do it because we don't want to do the work. And... Pero lo interesante de todo es que a pesar de que yo tenía este interés, este amor por la herencia africana, eh, en Puerto Rico la influencia en, eh, es más, o sea, lo que se educa, es más sobre los españoles y los taínos. Eh, so, como yo estaba empezando como artesano, mis influencias artesanales eran, eran indígenas. Así que yo empecé trabajando un material que estaba atado más a la herencia africana, pero añadiéndole elementos taínos. O sea, que yo me, yo me fui más por la línea de lo taíno. Y entonces, más adelante, pues yo empiezo a buscar información y demás, y empiezo a conectar que el material que yo estaba utilizando tenía una conexión espiritual en el continente africano. Y yo dije, espérate, pero es que yo tengo ya todo aquí. 
y ahí seguí por, por, ese, por ese camino. This is what, it's so important to, you know, learn about our cultures, learn about different traditions, because we're able to create such great work. Um, you're talking about the connections that you have with the African continent. What are some of the African countries that actually inspire your work? Uy, wow. Eh, mira, más allá de decir que, cuáles son los países, yo diría que cuáles son los grupos sociales. Porque lo que pasa es que, como dije antes, los grupos Bantu son 168 grupos. Entonces, yo no puedo tomar los 168 grupos y empezar a hacer cosas al azar porque yo lo que estoy tratando de hacer es educar y educarme, porque eso es un detalle bien importante. Cada una de las piezas, primero yo me educo antes de poder educar. Trato de basarla o acercarla lo, lo más que yo pueda a lo que pudieron haber sido esos, esas personas esclavizadas en Puerto Rico. O sea, que tú no me vas a ver haciendo piezas que estén conectadas con el Egipto que vemos en los libros. Porque no tengo una fuente en la que yo pueda decir, mira, pues de Egipto trajeron personas aquí. No, no tengo esa fuente, así que no lo puedo hacer. Así que yo puedo tomar tal vez los Bambara, puedo coger los Fulani, puedo coger los Songhai. Tengo que buscar los grupos que eran bastante amplios y mientras más grande era un grupo, pues más propenso era ese grupo a ser esclavizado. Y ahí pues puedo tomar y, y jugar con los distintos grupos sociales. Eh, a pesar de que de mis favoritos son obviamente los Zulu, eh, hay unos grupos que son los Ngulu, que también me gusta, pero me gusta por ciertas cosas que ellos tienen, porque... ¿Cómo que? Lo que pasa es que a nosotros se nos enseña que en, en los tiempos, en la época del bronce, del hierro, ¿me entiendes? En esas transiciones, pues se nos habla más de los griegos, de los japoneses, de la época del de medioevo, y que ellos podían trabajar con el hierro, las espadas, pero nunca te enseñan que en el continente africano, eh, más allá de tener lanzas, tenían espadas. Y cuando tú te pones a buscar eh, información, pues te das cuenta que son lo que eran los suajili, lo que eran los... Lo, lo, lo exacto, los fulani. Los fulani utilizaban una cascara, que era, es como una espada larga, eh, doble filo. Tú te vas dando cuenta que dentro de grupos de gran poder en el continente africano usaban espadas y las usaban antes eh, de que ni tan siquiera los europeos supieran lo que era el hierro. Entonces, son esos elementos que a mí me encantan de los distintos grupos sociales en el continente africano. Y esos elementos pues, los voy tomando. And have you found any, like connections between those tribes and maybe indigenous Puerto Rican, you know, findings or tools or weapons or artisans? No, because um, the indigenous here on the island, they, they used to just use axes, uh, rock axes. So they, they, they weren't so advanced as the African groups. So it's, it's difficult to make that a specific connection. Also, 
um, it's not like the in in Mexico that there there's some theories that the sl the slave the, I'm, I'm sorry that's not the word that the Africans travel to mm -hmm. Mexico and they they mix and then um, that's why supuestamente they have uh, these big giants faces rock faces I don't know if you have seen those yeah 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 I know what you're talking about. So, no, en Puerto Rico fue todo bien marcado. Indígenas, africanos y españoles. Pero, pero, aquí es, aquí es lo curioso que no se nos enseña de los españoles. Que los primeros españoles que llegan a la isla vienen del sur. Significa que los primeros esclavos que llegaron a la isla, o perdón, personas esclavizadas que llegan a la isla, son moros. Significa yeah. que los primeros esclavos son mezclas de... Eh, africanos del norte con españoles del sur a pesar de que no se, no se nos enseñe los primeros que nos traen herencia africana inconscientemente son los mismos españoles que están viniendo aquí porque ellos estaban influenciados por la misma herencia africana Exacto. que nosotros estamos buscando hoy día y eso es una cosa que no se enseña to keep us suppressed to make it seem like we don't have this power when we are the ones who taught them all they know but that's another mm -hmm. story <laughs> As an artisan, you know, and you're able to create and connect and do a lot of research and have different collections that come out. What are some of the best parts of being a Puerto Rican artisan? Primero, soy el único artista o artesano puertorriqueño que se enfocó en hacer joyería afro dentro de los campos artesanales. Pues lamentablemente no se ve la joyería afro o no se ve esa influencia directa. De, de la joyería eh, si sí se ve mucha joyería con un poco de como toquecito pero si sí hay personas que utilizan uno u otro detalle en sus piezas eh, que sean tal vez conectados a a la herencia africana pero no es como tu trabajo completo que esté basado en herencia africana o que tú tengas una línea completa basada en herencia africana. Y en cuanto a eso, pues yo en la isla soy, soy el único. Que también todas las piezas yo las estudio, las analizo eh, por lo menos por un año antes de sacarlas. Y siempre miro todo lo que está en el mercado para no hacer nada de lo que existe, de lo que hay. Quiero que todas mis piezas sean únicas. ¿no? Y así, pero, pero en cuanto a ser artesano... Lo más que puedo decir es eso, como que tratar de, de ser único en lo que hagas. Nunca, nunca copiar, nunca repetir eso. That's true. That's what we need to do. Stay true to ourselves so that, you know, we don't have to reflect or copy other people's styles. We just embrace our roots, our culture, and we bring it out through our art. And that's important because our art will speak for itself. And one day it'll inspire another great artist or writer or poet to do what they call, they're called to do. Yes. I know you have a story to share with us today. I'm excited to hear it. I will try to, the book is in English. I will try to read it. My English is not that good, but I hope you can understand it. Yeah. <laughs> Esta historia, this story is Kodumorumo or Kamapa. The Swallowing Monster. This is specific stories from Southern, Southern Africa, uh, from the Lesotho people. Once upon a time, there's, uh, there appeared in, in our country a huge shapeless thing called 
Kodumodumo, but some people call it Kamapa. It swallowed every living creature that came in its way. At last, it came to a pass in the mountains, into a valley where there were several villages. It went to one after another and swallowed the people, the cattle, the goats, the dogs, the foals. In the last village was a woman who had just happened to sit down on the ash heap. She saw the monster coming, smeared herself all over with ashes, and ran into the house pen, where she crouched, crouched on the ground. Kodumodumo, having finished all the people and animals, came and looked into the place, but could see nothing. Moving for the woman, being smeared with ashes and keeping quiet still, it took her for a stone. It then turned and went away, but when it reached the narrow pass at the entrance uh, to the valley, it had swelled to such a size that it could not get through and was forced to stay where it was. Meanwhile, the woman in the calf's pen, who had been expecting a baby shortly, gave birth to a boy. She laid him down on the ground and left him for a minute or two while she looked for something to make a bed for him. When she came back, she found a grown man sitting there with two or three spears in his hand and a string of div divining bones, the taola, um, round his neck. She said, hello, man, where is my child? And he answered, it is I, mother. Then he asked what had become of the people and the cattle and the dogs, and she saw him. Where is this, this thing, mother? Come out and see, my child. So they both went out and climbed to the top of the wall surrounding the house, the cow's brow. And she point, pointed to the past, saying that object which is filling the neck as a big mountain is Kodumorumo. The Talon got down for the wall from the wall, fetched his spear, sharpened, sharpened them on a stone, and set off to the end of the valley where Kodumorumo lay. The beast saw him and opened its mouth to swallow him, but he dodged and went around its side. It was too unwieldy to turn and seize him and drove one of his spears into it. Then he stabbed it again with his second spear, and it sank down and died. He took his knife and had already begun to cut, cut it open when he heard a man's voice crying out, Do not cut me. So he tried in another place, and another man cried out, but the knife had already slashed his leg. 
the Talon then began cutting in, in a third place and a cow low and someone called out, don't stop the cow. Then he heard a goat bleat, a dog bark, and hen cackle, but he managed to avoid them all as he went on, as he went on cutting and so in time released all the inhabitants of the valley. There was great rejoicing as the people collected their belongings, belongings and all returned to their several villages praising their drunk deliverer and saying, this young man must be our sheep. They brought him gift of cattle so that between one and another, he soon, he soon had a large herd and he had his voice of wives among their daughters. So he built himself a fine kraal and married and settled down. And all went well for a time, but unintentionally wounded man never forget his grudge. And long after his leg was healed, the leg began when he noticed signs of discontent among the people to drop a cunning, a cunning word here and there and encouraged those who were secretly envious of the Talon's good fortune, as well as those who suspected him, because, as they said, he could not be a normal human being, to give voice to their feelings. So before long, they were making plans to get rid of their sheep. They dug a pit and covered with dry grass, just as the Baperi, did in order to trap Uvein. They kindled a great fire in the courtyard, intending to throw him into it. But uh, a kind of their own party. The same thing happened when they tried to push him over a precipice. In this case, he restored to life to the man who was throwing over and killed. Next, they got up a big hunt, which meant an absence of several days from the village. One, one night when the party were sleeping in a cave, they induced the sheep to take uh, the place farthest from the entrance. And when they thought he was asleep, stole out a build and built a great fire in the cave mouth. But when they looked round, they saw him standing among them. After this, feeling that nothing will soften their embittered hatred, he grew weary of defeating, defeating their strat stratagems and allowed allowed them to kill him without offering any resistance. So some of the basuto, when relating this story, add, it is said that his heart went out and escaped and became a bird. So this is the whole story.
es toda la historia de Ditalene. That was interesting in not resisting the death that was coming, but the transformation to the bird. Like you were finding that sí. connection of life, that renewal sí. that's needed. Sí, exacto. Eh, y eh, es interesante, es interesante. Incluso cuando uno ve las distintas creencias y ve distintos elementos que hay en las creencias, uno dice, wow, espérate. Y entonces... Eh, ¿De dónde salió qué? Porque esta se parece mucho a esta. Me encanta, me encanta. Eduardo, how are you on your way? Eh, realmente no sé cómo decirlo, pero digamos que con muchas ideas, muchas metas, eh, y lo más importante, con propósito, porque una pieza sin propósito pues, es simplemente una decoración. So you want to make sure that every piece has meaning behind it and value, exactly, right? Mm -hmm. Exacto, sí, sí, sí. Y eso es importante porque hay un mensaje que tenemos o estamos compartiendo con el mundo, con tu joyería, con la poesía, con los diferentes talentos que tenemos. And it's always important to, you know, make sure that we, are we have an intention with our art, not just like you said. And I really liked how you pointed out earlier in the message that you study for over a year before you release a new connection, a collection. And that history, that learning, you know, that connection con la cultura being importante so that, you know, there is a message and there's meaning y hay valor en tu arte. So I love that. Tell the people where they can they connect with you on your Instagram, your website, all that stuff. Where can they buy your beautiful jewelry and support you? Okay, you can follow me on Instagram um, by Kim Pande underscore jewelry also you can follow me on facebook by kim pande jewelry by ep and that's about it we thank you for sharing a little bit of your story and your cultural connections we hope that everyone as you guys come to puerto rico celebrate you know the many cultures that exist but also this great artist and his dedication for more than a decade, almost two now, of this journey, this connection to Africa and the indigenous parts of Puerto Rico. Eduardo, thank you so much for sharing your story and just being true to yourself, man. No, thank you for having me here. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, it's been a pleasure. Everyone stay true to yourself and on your journeys. Until next time, this is Isa's Way. Y'all be blessed.